We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel and special guest today, Justin Thomas of Nets Republic. Guys, how are we doing? Doing great. Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Buzzing to have Justin. <laughs> always great to have a new guest on the show. As always, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms. But today we're going to do a little off-season preview. And before we talk about what's to come, we got to talk about what already happened. So what did we learn about the Nets last year, Justin? Uh, well, I think the biggest thing we learned is that the uh, the big three is as advertised. Um, it doesn't – it's not rocket science. You put three of the best players on the planet together, good yep. things are going to happen. Yeah, it was a little rocky at first. You know, and only having eight games, eh, you know, it's not ideal. But we saw, you know, in like the uh, the Clippers game, the, uh, the Bucks game, you know, during the regular season, this is a well-oiled machine in terms of just these three guys, three high IQ guys, three guys that can put the ball in the basket. It's not as difficult as people who are trying to make it seem. So I think that's what we really learned. You know, basketball isn't that hard. <laughs> the best players score the most points. They make the most plays, et cetera. And I would also say what we learned is you know, I think we put a little bit too much emphasis on like the defense in terms of um, like freaking out about it in the beginning of the season. I, you know, de- defense is a process and, you know, it's all about trying, you know, you can't, you can scheme defense, thing like that. But at the end of the day, uh, defense is more about just heart hustle. If you, if you want to stop your man from scoring, most of the time you can. Um, but, you know, I think those are the two big things we really learned and that, look, the Nets are contenders for the next two, three years, however long that KD, Kyrie, and Harden stick together. I don't really see a team on paper better than this group if they can stay healthy. Yeah, I'll piggyback what Justin said, because I had both of those things as well. You know, I think that the chemistry is there as well. There seems to be a, a desire and willingness you know, to just succeed in Brooklyn. I think all these three guys, for different reasons, you know, want to leave some sort of legacy in Brooklyn. You know, KD is the best player in the league. You know, coming off the Achilles injury, that's probably one of the other big things that happened. Uh, Clark City's booming. DJ is done. Bruce Brown is, uh, is he's got it. Uh, Jeff is uh, Mr. Reliable. Uh, Blake Griffin's got something left in the tank. 
Steve Nash, you know, solid rookie season. Uh, Sean Marks is always going to do his thing behind the scenes. Uh, and James Harden, uh, he's best friends with, as the French paparazzi will call him, Le Baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys nailed it. I think what we learned was when we actually saw this team together, they're the best team in the NBA when healthy. And that was kind of obvious, like Justin mentioned. You have three of the best players in the league. You're going to probably be the best team. They're obviously more offensive-oriented, but when it came to the postseason, defense was able to lock in with effort and communication. Like you mentioned, Jack, coaching was solid. I thought Steve Nash did a good enough job for this team to win a championship, but there is still room for improvement. And obviously, I think the Nets looking at some of you know the bench players, there are probably a couple guys where maybe they thought they were playoff players and maybe they're just a little bit too limited for the postseason. So that's something we'll see moving forward, more experience. But moving on from what we learned about the team last year, going into this offseason, their salary cap situation, not great. You know, their luxury tax bound. They're already guaranteed $154 million in uh, salary this year. The cap is 131 for the luxury tax. So getting under that is pretty much impossible. Very likely the only thing they'll have is the mini mid-level exception and veteran minimum contracts that they're out there. And there's a couple guys who are extension eligible from uh, the big three to Landry Shamit to uh, Nick Claxton as well. But any thoughts on the salary cap situation? I mean, it's not ideal. It's not what you want. <laughs> but, I mean, this is the price you pay for trying to build a contender, right? Yep. Um, you know, the you, you got to kind of go away from that, I guess, money ball mentality and well, like 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 we've seen over the past, you know, how many years? Look, the big stars win the games, and look, the big stars cost money. And when you have three of the biggest stars in the game, it's gonna, you know, put a dent in that uh, piggy bank a little bit. I believe Sean Marks has showed us in his tenure here that he knows how to finagle money. He knows how to move money around with the capologists and things like that, where he will find a way to get the best product on the floor. Um, that mid-level mid-level exception, I know that was a hot button issue, like just about all season amongst Nets Twitter. Um, so I see, I think I see the last. I think we got it at about just under six million yep. entering into the off season. So it'll be interesting to see what he does there. But look, luxury tax at this point, I, Joe Size got to be able to, uh, you know, look, come out come out a little bit. I don't know if you guys saw that article this uh, that came about uh, today on the timeline with the uh, like Steve Ballmer and like all the yeah. other owners like getting that you know money on the side so look i love you can't you can't put that a uh, luxury tax excuse in front of us anymore look you gotta pay a you gotta pay yeah look steve Barmer, he joe side doesn't have a hundred billion dollars in the bank but <laughs> i think I, i've said this a couple of times that he's in the top five richest owners in the nba i think his net worth is anywhere from 11 to 13 billion dollars has been reported and he has shown a willingness to pay. He showed that this season, you know, getting James Harden across, obviously in the luxury tax, you know, the repeat attack is obviously something that's probably going to be something to, you know, look at uh, if the Nets aren't going to contend, you know, he's not going to want to pay that. But at this point in time, they are in that sort of situation. So if I was in in, in Joe Sy's shoes, I'd be paying it. And I think it looked like sort of Justin was saying, you know, Sean Marks finds value. Jeff Green, vet minimum, contributing like a goddamn mofo. Bruce Brown on a one of the cheaper contracts, more value contracts we've got going around, and Blake Griffin on a vet minimum as well, and Lamarcus Aldridge for for that um, for that mark as well before he uh, unfortunately had to abruptly retire. So I think and you know Tyler Johnson contributed for little bits and pieces. Mike James contributed for little bits and pieces. Sean Marsh just seems to find guys, and you know he experimented with Andre Roberson. He experimented with you know Aman Shumpert 2.0. So I, I think that 
there is Sean Marks is going to be able to find value. And that's something that I think a lot of other teams, and you look at the Milwaukee Bucks and the sort of shallowness of their rotation, you know, they haven't been able to find those sort of vet guys. You know, they've got, you know, Giannis's brother and all these other sort of young dudes hanging out to, in the depths of the rotation. It's just like, you want to have a deep-ish rotation. And we saw that this season. I know Nick and I discussed in the preseason that we said that depth is probably going to be more important than ever. The Nets did have that, even with the James Harden trade. You know, obviously, Nicholas Claxton as well, you know, becoming uh, up as a restricted free agent soon. But he is still a rookie, and, and that rookie money is, is going to look nice on, on the books too. So I think the Nets are in a decent enough spot. If Sean Marks wasn't helming things and we didn't have a, a quality GM uh, with the knowledge uh, that he does, I'd probably be a little less confident. But I think the Nets are in a decent enough spot to continue to add things. If, if anything, next season is probably going to, this offseason is probably going to be even bigger in terms of what they can add. That is, I guess, if Jeff does stick around. Yeah, definitely. And I think you mentioned, you know, Sean Marks and obviously Joe Sy. Is he willing to spend that money? You mentioned what his net worth is. And I think also it's important to note is like, if you do win championships, specifically in a big city like New York, you should make some of that money back. So it's not like you're taking a complete L if you're, you know, spending into luxury tax. You get hit with that repeater tax. You know, Cleveland did it. Golden State did it. So, and like you mentioned, Jack, there are different options. And it really helps when you have three of the best players in the league because that becomes attractive for veterans who are trying to get that championship. And you can get some deals, like hopefully happens with Blake Griffin. So moving on from there, we got up. I will say that. one oh, thing, Nick, just on that. I was initially in last year's offseason. Season, a part of me was like, oh, Josiah isn't going to want to go into it because of the Garrett Temple offloading. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, God, we're, we're losing a guy who is a rotation player. You know, I think Garrett Temple in this year's book on that team would have contributed um, in a relatively serviceable sort of way. So I'm, I'm almost surprised in, at the, the way things did pan out. And obviously, you know, what's going to happen with Spencer Dimini and all these sort of free agency discussions we'll be having uh, very soon. Yeah, well, that's our next topic right there. We got upcoming Nets free agents. We can kind of go through each one. So kick things off with Spencer Dinwiddie. Obviously a guy who's been up for most improved players, been up for six men of the year, was a fringe all-star, tore his ACL early in the season. We didn't really get to see him play much time at all this year. He's arguably the best free agent point guard on the market. Justin, what are you expecting from Spencer Dinwiddie this summer in terms of the possibility of returning to the Nets, a sign and trade? What are your thoughts on Dinwiddie and his future, either with the Nets or without the Nets? Well, I expect him to give us a lot of, uh, like, like Nets fans, a lot of headaches uh, and, and leave us in a bunch, you know, in a state of confusion. You know, like he is, he's, he's like a lovable bad guy in a sense. But I mean, it's, it, it's so hard, right? Because on one hand, like, like you said, he's been so instrumental to this team and he's been so instrumental to the Brooklyn Nets, I would say in the last like four years, this rebuild, yep. you know, being a guy that was part of like that core of, we're going to build you up, you know, like the, the Chris Lavers you know, D'Angelo Russell, Jared Allen, like he's still... You could argue he's the biggest piece of all of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think for a, a while, we pretty much, uh, you know, we kind of um, put that moniker on uh, Joe Harris because of how well he shot in the regular season. Obviously, you know, things happen in the playoffs. But in terms of Dinwiddie, it's it's going to be very interesting. I know he came, he was on uh, some... I forget the name. Howard Zell. Howard Zell, yeah. Um saying like, you know, if the Nets came at him with five for 120, you know, 125 for five, he'd be all for it. But if they come with three for 60, you know, other teams can do that. And, he, and he's right. He he has played well enough where he deserves his money and he deserves to be the starter on another team. But looking at how he could contribute to this team, he would easily be the best player coming off the bench, right? And in a season where you'd probably expect Harden, KD, and Kyrie to have even more load management, just based off the kind of the injuries we dealt with this season, 
he becomes even that much instrumental. The problem is the money, right? And the way our books are looking, it's not likely that that uh, Dinwiddie's going to get that type of money unless he takes another, you know, pay cut. I don't blame him if he doesn't. What I really see most likely happening with Dinwiddie is the Nets do a sign-in trade, um, where it kind of benefits both parties. Where Dinwiddie gets his money, goes to a team that can help him, and then the Nets in return get somebody, maybe a three and D guy, maybe a, a, another big that fills a void that is, you know, pretty glaring. Yeah, I think that, you know, he's a he, he's really good at sort of just putting things out into the ether. But I'm still not 100% sure whether he is representing himself, but if he is, he does a, an immense job at it because, you know, 360, 125, I think somewhere in the middle is what he his value is. You compare it to, say, like a, a Malcolm Brogdon, Fred Van Vliet, in what Dennis Schroeder was on, might get this offseason. I think 480 is probably something yeah. I would probably be pretty comfortable with. You know, something a little bit more than what Joe Harris got. Because ultimately, I think he is a more reliable player, you know, when it does matter. Yeah, he, he doesn't have the three-point shooting propensity, but he probably would have hit more than Joe did this offseason <laughs> at the same time. And I think you can just imagine how, how like, awesome Spencer Dinwiddie would be in this current Brooklyn Nets folder things, you know, him playing alongside James Harden as a secondary ball, ball handler, you know, alongside Kyrie and KD, you know, he goes back to sort of his old sort of passing, you know, he probably, him and like Nicholas Claxton together would be Jared Allen 2.0. Uh, he's an incredible player in, in the, in the pick and roll. Uh, I think underrated defensively as well. I think he's, you know, he's got some size about him. You know, he's guarded his form. He's now current teammate in Blake Griffin pretty goddamn well. So I think that that is likely, but is there a scenario where uh, we were all surprised and we do see um, Spencer Dinwiddie as a Brooklyn Net again? Yeah, I think that there is a, a universe out there because I think he wants to be a Brooklyn Net. I think he knows what this franchise has done for him in building him up, and a lot of that is on him. Him being able to show out, um, you know, the development staff behind him obviously deserve a, a ton of credit as well. But I think this is all on Spencer, and, and the fact that he has built him up from being a, a castaway in Detroit and Chicago to being a you know, uh, a, a t an eight-figure, nine-figure player is is pretty goddamn awesome. So I think there is a universe where it could happen. Maybe you have to offload DJ and Joe and get lesser value in return. But it's I think ultimately we've sort of spoken about and we all know that after seeing what happened this postseason, the Nets just need guys that can contribute in the playoffs. And can you rely on Spencer Dinwiddie in the playoffs? Yeah, I think you probably can. You know, even if the, the worst version of Spencer Dinwiddie and he's not hitting threes, he's still going to play solid enough defense. He's still going to move the ball. He's still going to get out in transition. I still think he does enough things that'll be like, yeah, I'm happy I haven't spent Dewey on my team, even if the shot isn't falling. He's a great driver. We know that as well. Yeah. So I think there is a universe out there where, you know, the sign and trade is obviously the most likely possibility, whether it's with one of the LA teams or, or Dallas. So it seems to be the sort of three prime destinations, uh, maybe even a San Antonio. I know Nick has uh, brought that into the universe as well. But a part of me is now wanting more Spencer Dinwiddie, <laughs> wanting more these days of Spencer to be on the Brooklyn Nets, given what we do need. Yeah, I think the best tool the Nets have if they really wanted to retain Spencer would be offering the fifth year. Like, they can match the money amount any team can get, but they're the only team that can offer the fifth year. And if that's something he's really into, that kind of gives you a more likelihood of bringing him back. But like you guys both said, I think the sign-and-trade is definitely the most likely scenario here. And I think it helps the Nets to an extent if he's asking for more money because then that limits the options of different teams. 
able to sign him outright. So it makes a sign and trade even more likely for the Nets. So, you know, credit to Spencer and what he's done for the Nets. And I'd be happy if he goes to another team and gets an opportunity to really showcase himself because I was kind of talking to Jack a little before he hopped on. It's like, if he does join the Nets, he's never going to really have that stardom or he's never really going to have that big a role. But I will say it'd be a great safety option because I think we'd all agree that probably if the Nets had Spencer Dinwiddie in that game seven against the Bucks they probably get the W because he's just that good of a player and just gives you that different element that you're missing right now. So the Nets want to go full super team. Josiah wants to spend the money. I'm all for Spencer Dinwiddie being on the Nets. I'm not sure if it's going to happen, though. Justin, if you think that there's a universe where Spencer is on the Brooklyn Nets, what do you think is, and Nick was sort of alluded to that fifth year there, what is the five-year range that you could see him you know, attaining in free agency? Oh, man. I mean, I think it also comes in, like, like you guys have said, um, in terms of, like, maybe pushing the number up takes some teams out of the running. Yep. But you also have to kind of look at how much some teams value that point guard position and, and look at, all right, Spencer's a 20-6 and six guy, right, at, at his peak, at least in what we've seen. Um, it's kind of hard to say. Like, what the, what it's the really hard to determine a market value of a player because it's so unknown and what like other teams are going to be willing to throw at guys, how much money they're going to take off. Like maybe someone's in love with Spencer Dinwiddie and they're like, you know what? We'll give him that $25 million a year. I think he threw out a high number just to kind of, you know, keep himself yeah. in that high level. I think a more reasonable range from him based off of like other reports, probably somewhere between like that 15 and 20, if I had a guess, but I could be completely wrong because that's what happens every year with free agency. Yeah, I, mean, I think an eighteen an eighteen would probably be around like what I would probably cap it at. Yep. Maybe nineteen, depending. Like I could easily see maybe the Knicks, even though I know <laughs> they're trying to, you know, go in a, you know, and what they've done this season has been, you know, pretty good too in terms of like rebranding themselves. But they need a point guard. Spencer yep. Dinwiddie's an all star caliber point guard. I, hey, it's not doesn't take much. He lives. He already lives here. So. <laughs> All the slander that he gave the New York Knicks. That would be absolutely amazing. And I'd have to have a soft spot for the New York Knicks would be weird. Sort of. (laughs) And look, maybe not, maybe not. But yeah, I I was literally thinking the exact same thing, Justin. Sort of 590, maybe you throw some incentives in there, player options or something like, I don't know, Sean Marks is is a wizard when it comes to sort of contract stuff. We sort of saw that, you know, in the ability to get DeAndre Jordan at the same time as getting Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in free agency and all the sort of finagling of like, you know, if you shoot... 80% 80% from the free throw line, you get an extra $200,000 or something. So, yeah, I think that the thing that intrigues me most is that this point guard market, the, the sort of four headliners, uh, Dennis Schroeder, Spencer Dinwiddie, Kyle Lowry, and Mike Conley. Now, what do other teams really value? And out of all those four guys, maybe it is an, an element of subjective bias, I think that Spencer Dinwiddie is the most reliable and consistent of those four. You know, Dennis Schroeder proved that, you know, he is not going to be getting 5-125 by any stretch of the imagination. He should have signed the bag with the Lakers when he got that offer. Mike Conley obviously can, he, he's a, a solid vet performer, but what is, is, it, is his prime behind him now and, you know, his injury history behind him? And Kyle Lowry's like 35 now as well, despite the fact that he's probably maybe the best player or if not the second best player on the market. You know, you're not signing him long term. So it depends on what situation you do have. So I think Spencer is almost in the uh, the prime seat uh, in terms of the position that he plays and in terms of, you know, the age of where he's at, the diversity of his skill set. So I think he's going to have plenty of suitors. And, you know, he it's almost he will probably dictate terms to the Brooklyn Nets rather than the opposite. Yeah, I agree. And also just another note on Spencer, too, is um, 
if they do sign him, they do sign him to like a $20 million contract. Now that's another trade chip they have in terms of matching a, a bigger trade down the line or something like that. Maybe if it's even adding two other role players. So it's definitely something you want to do. You don't necessarily want to lose a very good player for nothing. It could definitely happen because he is not a restricted free agent, but it's kind of just going to be a wait and see game. And like Justin said, you know, Spencer's going to make a drag out as long as possible. <laughs> kind of give us a lot of Twitter stuff to talk about. But moving on from him, we got Jeff Green, like Jack mentioned, you know, arguably the best veteran minimum contract in the league this year was absolutely amazing for the Nets. Really sucked that he got injured and he wasn't his best version of himself against the Bucks in that series. But what are your thoughts on Jeff Green and what to expect in the offseason for him? Oh, man, Uncle Jeff. I mean, it, it, we're, there's not enough words to describe just how great of a signing this was. Um which is why I'm still on the soapbox that Sean Marks was robbed of his, um, yeah. you know, executive of the year. Where because Stud, man, Stud! <laughs> no respect, you know. But uh, I mean, like the, the the value that he got from Jeff Green and that that the Nets got from Jeff Green this year. I mean, there's a lot of games this season where the Nets don't win without you know a yep. solid performance from Jeff Green. I, I think uh, game five. Even the, uh, Yep, game five. I mean, even going back to the regular season, the uh, that second Pelicans game, yep. you know, he he was pretty big. Um, but the plantar fasciitis that, that was tough. I you know I know Nets fans have the uh, the haunting memories of Joe Johnson with his you know foot injuries, and like even Bulls fans with Joe Kim Noah. I'd be very worried about the foot, you know, especially you know he's getting up there in age. Um, he does not to say he relies on his athleticism, but it is a factor. Um, but if he can come back, the Nets can bring him back. I, that's, that, that, that's huge. That, that's huge because not only did we see the Nets' lack of, I guess, switchability on defense in the playoffs when he wasn't there, but just spreading the floor, giving another outlet, another shooting threat there. Uh, but, yeah, Jeff Green, it, I, I wouldn't say it's a priority number one to bring him back, but it has to be high up on uh, Sean Marks' list. Yeah, it'd be one A, one B, or number two. I think you're right in that sort of saying that, Justin. The the part of me is, you know, thinks is, you know, he is aging. You know, he did say in sort of like, you know, the post game presses and stuff, the off season presses that, you know, he doesn't really know what he wants to do. He's going to take some time away. Whereas, you know, we heard Blake Griffin and Bruce Brown said that, you know, they want to be back. So maybe it's less likely we do see Jeff, and you know, he wants to get one more mini pay deal, whether it's a of a, a sort of short-term deal in the vein of the J.J. Redick, or what he got. I think he got like a one-year, $10 million deal somewhere. Come over what team he's played for every single guy <laughs> in their organization. It's hard to keep up. But I, I know, I'll throw you, Justin. Do you think he's worth giving the, the taxpayer MLE to? You know, obviously, you would have to have some assurances about, you know, the, the plantar fasciitis. But if he is healthy, is Jeff worth it? Oh, I, absolutely. And I think this year proved it. I think the guys, you know, at least the camaraderie on the team, they all love him. He's important to the rotation. He's just, you know, especially when you go small ball. He's, it, 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 that's what makes the, the salary cap situation so incredibly hard because it's, Jeff Green is a guy that you feel like you need on your team, but when you're really crunching the numbers, you know, not to say that, that Marks is going to, you know, maybe take shortcuts there, but Green may not be the asset that, in Marx's eyes, as he is in our eyes. Yep. And it's also becomes to a decision too, is if you're in free agency and you have a free agent that's willing to take a pay cut and sign on that uh, taxpayer mid-level exception, do you go ahead and sign him instead of Jeff Green? Because that's really your only avenue to really sign a good player that's not on veteran minimum. So it's kind of limiting your options. So it's like, I'd love to have Jeff Green back, but 
it's kind of like the grass isn't always greener on the other side, but it really could be in this situation if the Nets could get really lucky and sign a, a good player for a really cheap contract. So I'm really unsure about Jeff Green at this point. I feel like he doesn't want a veteran minimum. I think he wants that uh, mini mid-level exception just so he can get some more money. He obviously is up there in age, so it's going to be a really tough decision. And I'm intrigued to see how interested other teams are because he really played, like you guys mentioned, that small ball five role great like he gives you a switching five can defend a little bit in the post and can shoot the three ball had a career year from three so i think a lot of other teams are probably going to be interested and they might be willing to even throw more money than the taxpayer mid-level exception especially like jack said if it's a one-year deal that's like one year seven million or something like that or eight you know what i mean you might want to just get the bag of your jeff green because you don't know how many years you really have left but uh moving on from him we got blake griffin obviously Blake is still getting a ton of money from Detroit, which definitely helps the Nets in terms of re-signing him. I think the veteran minimum is pretty likely for Blake returning to the Nets. Justin, what are you thinking? Oh, absolutely. You know, he's, he doesn't have to worry about money in terms of, you know, that. Like, like As like you said, he's still getting paid from uh, Detroit. I'm pretty sure those Kia checks are still rolling in. So, <laughs> but, uh, but no, Blake, Blake seems like the type of guy, at least, you know, with him, the, the small amount of time he was on the team, he seems like the type of guy that's a team player and would take that veteran minimum to return, you know, to come back at, for a chance to get a ring. Because let's be honest, you know, how many more opportunities does a guy like Blake or even like a guy like Jeff Green have yeah. at this age or at this stage in their career to get a ring? Like, let's not remember when Blake was traded to, you know, not not traded, sorry. When Blake joined the Nets and became, you know, formed this super team, apparently, he was being called washed. Right. Yep. So like how <laughs> many years does a washed player really have to get, you know, to the pinnacle? Uh, so that's why I think Blake, it looks like he like he, he's a fan favorite. Everybody loves Blake uh, from him diving on the floors, chasing after loose balls, getting those dunks, you know, just being a you know part of the bench mob or the new faction of the bench mob. Blake seems like a guy that he would definitely take the, uh, you know, the vet men's definitely a guy that would that I think Nets fans and the Nets would love to have back. Uh, so like again, like 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 with Jeff Green, not priority number one, but you know should be looked at with more than just a, a a side glance. Yeah, I think that what we saw from him defensively was the most surprising thing for yep. probably everyone, let alone Mets fans, and his ability to not necessarily limit Giannis, but at least make life tough for him and and play quality minutes as a small ball five. I thought, no, he's obviously not a rim protector, and you, know, you need KD next to him to sort of you know, provide some rim protection in that sense. But I thought defensively he was awesome. And, you know, there were times where I'm like, oh, is he ever going to rebound the ball again? And then, you know, he's, he's getting offensive boards left, right, and center. So it, it, I think he showed that he loved his time in Brooklyn, albeit short. And I think he wants to probably spend a, a little more time in Brooklyn and get another chance at, at winning a chip. You know, the... I, I was super surprised at the reliability that he, we had from him in the postseason. And, you know, that three ball, there was times where it's just like the offense was completely stagnant and you, you kick it out to, to Blake and he's, he's hitting that three ball. So I think that if one of Jeff or Blake has to come back, you know, that has to be a priority. Now, obviously, I'm not giving him, you know, mid-level exception, taxpayer mid-level, mini mid-level, whichever mid-level there is that is available. But I think that... If you aren't getting Jeff Green back, you know, you got to get Blake Griffin back because, you know, both of those guys showed you that they can be reliable, solid leadership, all the things that you want from a, from a vet guy in a championship team. 
a guy that can fill out the rotation as a seventh or eighth man. Uh, and, and in Blake's sense, you know, he was the maybe the fourth best player for the Brooklyn Nets in, in some stretches of the imagination as well. So um, I loved Blake uh, as a Brooklyn Net and hopefully it, the, the Brooklyn Nets tenure continues even longer. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys said. I really hope Blake is back. And it seemed like he got along really well with the big three. He really enjoyed playing with them. I thought his passing was good, too, the screening. Willing to do the dirty work. Like he talked about it when he came to the Nets. He understood what he needed to do to be successful. And he was really good in the postseason for what I anticipated from him. Obviously, he took on more minutes than he probably needed to. But So uh, hopefully Blake is back. And I feel like... I feel almost the most confident of Blake Griffin being back out of any free agent than probably anyone else on the list. You know, the other guys, some of the lower level players, they could come back if the Nets really wanted him. But I feel like Blake actually wants to be on the Nets. And I think he also liked being kind of that bad guy on the team. We saw him call P.J. Tucker a bitch. You know, he just kind of provided some of that spark. And I think as a fan, you love to see it, especially when we're used to the Nets kind of being called a bitch. So it's like good to have that type of player on your team. But any other thoughts we, on Blake? Yeah. I was just going to say, can we also say when we, you know, you get those like off screen mic'd moments from, and yep. stuff. And, <laughs> and Blake was talking to like Tim. It's like, yeah, you got Tim, 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 Tim. Man, your, your name's too, way too hard, man. Your name's yeah, way too hard. I think he's I think everyone fell in love with Blake when he couldn't say TLC's name. Yeah. I feel like that was like mid-TLC hate session too, like at the high <laughs> yeah. level, so it's just going to add it to that. But yeah. uh, yes. moving on to our next guy, uh, Bruce Brown. He is a restricted free agent, so the Nets have the opportunity to match any deal he receives, and that doesn't impact that mini mid-level exception or anything like that. So likelihood we see Bruce Brown back in a Nets uniform. Yep, that's uh, – if I had to – list something that was like 1A, 1B. Bruce Brown, at least in my opinion, would be at the top of the list. I, I mean, it's just, like I said about Jeff, it, there's not enough words to describe what Bruce Brown meant to this team. I mean, just from the from the beginning of the season when fans were like, yo, play Bruce. Please, yep. please, Steve, for the love of God, play Bruce. And then he finally plays Bruce, and we're like, see, we told you this is what Bruce is going to do. <laughs> but I don't think anybody could have predicted that it, what Bruce Brown was going to do for this team, being able to be, you know, a quote unquote great center. I mean, <laughs> we saw that in the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the Warriors game, especially when it was, you know, brought to the forefront of the national spotlight. And then even like him in the dunker spot, his ability to make the reads off the pick and roll, whether to throw that floater up or find Jeff green right in the corner for a three. Then on D I mean, defense, you don't even have to say anything. We already know what type of stud he is. This guy is, you talk about Brooklyn grit, Bruce Brown was the epitome of Brooklyn grit. It is very, very important that Sean Marks bring him back and that he is on the opening day roster next season. Yeah, I, I love Bruce so goddamn much. You know, there was words, like you said, Justin, words kind of express the love and admiration I think us and Nets fans have for him. And, you know, the diversity that he showed this season and the, the willingness to be like, you know what, I'll play small ball center here. I'll screen, you know, for, for KD after, you know, possession after possession after possession if the, in the postseason. I'll make a million floaters and get Brook Lopez off the floor for a Brooklyn Nets great. Now, he was immense, immense in the, with a capital I and, I can't wait to hopefully have him back as a Brooklyn Nets. And you know, the my favorite moment of him was you know when he had that the twenty nine point performance, and you know Jeff was telling him you had twenty nine. He's like, died twenty nine. It was just, <laughs> it was so goddamn cute. Um, I can't wait to do the off season breakdown of, of him as well. But uh, Justin, what do you think? I've, I've heard 
varying takes on what his market would be like and you know from different sort of um uh journalists out there some are saying you know you could probably get him on you know a five million dollar per annum deal for three or four years others are saying you know he's his market might be anywhere in the double digits of of, of millions of dollars to somewhere in the ten nine million dollar range do you think that his value outside of brooklyn is high where where is uh, the likelihood, what's the money going to be? What do you think, I guess, of, of his personal situation when it comes to free agency? So it's very interesting because, like, how the Nets went with, what, like 38 different lineups this yep. season, starting lineups this season. Bruce Brown proved, proved to be a utility knife, you know. Where he could fit anywhere with any team. How he is used, I think, will be the big thing. Like, people saw that he was be, he was he was able to be used in a way in Brooklyn that you may not be able to replicate in other places, right? Because not every team has a Kevin Durant, not every team has a Kyrie Irving, not every team has a James Harden, who in their own unique way have their unique skill sets. And then, yeah, you might have two superstars or even one superstar on your team, but Bruce Brown may not be able to do the things he did in Brooklyn in that space if you ask him to do the same thing. Market value, I'd probably peg him anywhere between 8 and 10. Uh, I think that's where he should you know, range, you know, maybe like a, a three-year, mil a year, you know, something like that. Uh, because you don't want to break the bank, obviously. You know, you're not going to break the bank over, you know, a role player. As quality of a role player as he is, you're not going to break the bank. But in that same regard, look, he, he proved to be a vital aspect. Everybody saw in that in the, what was it, game three of the Buck series when he yep. went off for, you know, what, yep. his own 8-0 run, just literally just worst. getting in the paint with the floaters. Like, look, so... Where he's valued outside, I haven't I actually haven't heard much, at least in you know in terms of where he might go otherwise. But he's valued here, and I think his value is somewhere between eight and ten, maybe eleven. But that's probably stretching it. Yeah, and I think the fit is so unique here, and it just kind of utilizes his skill set to a different degree, like you mentioned. You know, specifically, I think even playing with a guy like James Harden, getting on that short roll with him, and kind of doing his thing with his floater. So. I think, honestly, maybe the Nets could get lucky and get him even lower at like six or seven. It really depends on the market and how they view view Bruce Brown. And I think, you know, he'd be willing to take a slight discount to stay here, to have an opportunity to have a real role and to win a championship. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, you know, in the past, Joe Harris, two years, $16 million. Spencer Dimley's current deal, three years, $30 million. The, the guys have taken unders, whether it's through Sean Marks' voodoo, wizardry, Kiwi accent or something where they just don't understand. It's just like, yeah, just take just take this, just take this. And this is like, I don't know what you're saying, Sean. I don't know what Kiwi sound like, but I'll sign this on the dotted line here. So maybe uh, maybe he, she throws a bit of magic out there again because we all want Bruce, we all love Bruce. And and I, I agree with sort of Justin. I don't know what he would provide another team. Like, I'm trying to think of the contending teams right now. You know, on the Bucks, you know, they've got Brook Lopez and, and Giannis as their sort of options at the five, and PJ Tucker is probably going to be a priority there. You know, the, the Clippers, they've got Terrence Mann, you know, a, a former sort of you know, mate of, of, of Bruce Brown anyway. And, you know, the Lakers, obviously, they prioritize, you know, Andre Kareem Abdul Drummond, whatever the <laughs> hell he's calling himself these days. So I think that almost what's happening on other teams could benefit the Brooklyn Nets. And yep. it, I sort of said earlier that. Spencer Dinwiddie's in a prime position because of you know the, the suitors that he's likely to have. I don't think Bruce Brown's market is going to be amazing, uh, but I do also think that there'll be teams out there that'll be like, you know what, Sean, you've been an absolute D and A-hole to us in, in the past when it comes to restricted free agency. Let's make things tough for you at the same time. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a real possibility. I think it's also less likely teams offer just because he's a restricted free agent. So that kind of gives you a little more leeway if you're the net. So I think the likelihood of him being back, I feel pretty confident about Blake Griffin and Bruce Brown being back. Everyone else, I'm pretty unsure about. I'd love to see Jeff Green back. Love to see Spencer Dinwiddie. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And then we can kind of talk about the rest of the guys. We've got Tyler Johnson, TLC, Mike James, uh, and then the two-way guys, Chris Giozzi and Reggie Perry. Any thoughts on these five or anybody you want to dive deep into? Uh, yeah, Tyler Johnson was an interesting case this season. I mean, I actually wrote an article for Nets Republic about how he changed his game to fit with the Nets. He became more off-ball because, I mean, as you know, you know, point guard by trade out of, uh, I believe, Fresno uh, State. Then went to Miami. Like, like you said, Deshaun Marks' uh, restricted free agent, uh, you know, situation. That's why uh, Tyler Johnson's mom says Deshaun Marks is, is her favorite person. <laughs> but, you know, Tyler, for, I thought he provided the Nets quality minutes, you know, when he was on the floor. You know, his ability, he wasn't scoring a lot, but every game it seemed like, all right, there's Tyler Johnson in the corner, knock down three. Or, oh, there's Kyler, Tyler Johnson on the wing. All right, here's a three. And, you know, he won the game with like five points, like two assists. But it was quality minutes off the bench, especially yeah. running with uh, James Harden's, you know, uh, rotation when, when he was manning the second unit. That's somebody I would like. I was very surprised when the net when Steve kind of shifted Mike James into more of a role and then kind of hid Tyler Johnson. I mean, I know he he had a, a, quite a few DMPs toward the end of the season, which was kind of head scratching to me. Uh, and, and then I he also, played a ton in the Boston series and then he yes. didn't really play in the Buck series. It was kind of definitely strange with the whole Mike James, Tyler Johnson uh, yep. thing. Very, very, very weird. So that's the guy that and I know the Nets have uh, his bird rights, I believe. So I don't expect him to come back like the Nets bring him back on like, you know, multi year deal. But I could see him taking like a one year coming back if he so chooses. But, hey, I, I wouldn't put it past another team to say, hey, Tyler, we need somebody to man the point guard position for us. You know, here's three years, you know, 24 mil, 25 mil. Yeah, I thought that he could have 
been given more opportunities in, in this postseason because, yeah, like we all love Mike James here on this podcast, especially <laughs> Nick Faye. Um, but, but in all honesty, I think the, the reliability we sort of talked about with, you know, Jeff Green and Blake Griffin and this sort of thing, Tyler Johnson provided that mostly. And I think defensively, obviously he can't do as much maybe offensively with the ball in his hands uh, as Mike James can, or maybe he was just wasn't given the opportunity to do so. Um, it's probably just asked to play a more of an ancillary role. But yeah, if Tyler Johnson is willing to come back and fill out the rotation, and you know, I think Steve would be you know remiss if he didn't you know just decide to to throw some extra minutes at him and experiment with him because I think that there is a reliability factor that he has, and and, a, and I guess a floor ceiling sort of prospect that you know when you're looking at Mike James and Chris Jones, these sort of dudes, which is like you know what. Tyler Johnson, I know what he's going to give me. And I think he's a little bit better defensively as well. I think he's just still had a little bit of spark and hustle about him uh, as well. You know, he's going to guard guys, you know, uh, you know 108, 104 feet, whatever it is. Um, so I, I, I like Tyler Johnson. I think that the teams, if they have been watching the Brooklyn Nets at all this season, would do their best to try and get him out of that situation and, and add to some depth in their rotation. You know, if you're the Bucks, if you're the Lakers, if you're any of these sort of teams that just needs an extra ball handler, uh, you could certainly do worse than Tyler Johnson. Yeah, I think Tyler Johnson's a solid player. I don't think he's ne necessarily someone you want in your playoff rotation per se, but I think he's not bad as like a, a backup option or somebody you can kind of switch into a role or in specific series he can play. So I think if he wants a bigger role, he'll probably sign with another team. If he's happy just kind of being in Brooklyn, you know, he loves Sean Marks. His mom loves Sean Marks. Maybe he just kind of wants to stay. He got the money. He got the bag from them. I'd be happy to see him back. But I also hey, he got wouldn't... the blue tick as well. He got the blue tick. That's important. I mean, he put out some crazy tweets back in the day. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to go over those. But, uh, um, like, I think part of me also wouldn't be opposed to signing, like, a veteran point guard with more experience or another guy where I feel more comfortable. And Steve Nash feels more comfortable throwing into a playoff series rather than, you know, having to pick between Mike James, uh, Tyler Johnson, and Chris Chioza. More Mike James slander from Nick Faye. <laughs> It's uh, it's uh, it's as reliable as a Bruce Brand floater on the Brooklyn bus. Well, hey, I, I'm just objective here, so no, no slander at his personality. Mike, Mike James is, is a, hey, look that the Mike James experiment was a was was quite a roller coaster because it's like sometimes you're like, all right, what is he doing out there? It's like one of those like when your coach says, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh yes, yes. That's, that's pretty much the crux of Mike James's offense <laughs> with with the Nets. You know, just taking these like you know contested uh you know step back jumpers these these fadeaway floaters on the baseline you're like why is he shooting this oh, okay it went in okay yeah. no harm no foul <laughs> it's like he'll throw horse shots in the middle of nba game and it's like yeah. bro, you're not Kyrie. <laughs> like i know you you practice with him but there's a difference here yeah. um but it's like patrick ewing what kind of shot is that that's, uh, <laughs> that's half of the mike james experience you shoot that in practice? No. Um, but anything else on the other guys, uh, TLC, um, Chris Gioza, Reggie Perry? Uh, Reggie, I expect, you know, he'll probably, he'll most likely go to summer league. I expect him to ball out in summer league too. Uh, but, you know, I, he'll be in, he'll be on, on the two-way again. Yep. I expected. TLC, uh, yeah, his time is up here. I, yep. I just don't see, I just, you know, TLC slander side. And I know I was one of the, uh, you know, parade, you know, leaders of the TLC slander. Like, like Mavericks Twitter knew about TLC because of how much I was <laughs> slandering him. But, um, yeah, I, look, he may fit somebody else with, with another team, but he, it's not going to be here. Chioza, that's all our guy. Cheese, love him. He's just, uh, he just doesn't fit for a contending team. You know, he's just, he's just kind of there, you know. 
Yep. He's just too short for the NBA until he develops another elite skill, you know, be it shooting or something like that, or just kind of has a better understanding of what he can do on the floor. Um, and like you said, TLC, I think this kind of gets to a point where you can't waste a roster spot on a player like him because he's so inconsistent. And like there is some pop to him, but you can't play him in a playoff series and you'd rather have a veteran that's maybe a little bit washed, but you can trust on the floor. TLC's not that guy. Yeah. Uh, he dominated today for the French national team. 20 minutes, nine points, two or five from three. TLC's coming back, baby. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe he'll stay in France. But um, moving on from there. <laughs> I'm terrible. Um, I mentioned extension eligible. Obviously, the big three is a possibility. Nick Claxton is a possibility. Landry Shamit. You guys expect anybody to be extended this summer, or is it kind of be a wait-and-see thing? I know we had a report from Shams that said expect extensions from the big three, but I think it could kind of go either way. Uh, I don't expect the the, the Shamit uh, extension. Um, yeah, I, I, they'll, they'll just play that one out. Um, I think... I wouldn't be surprised if like Shamit could be possibly used as a as a, as a trade piece as yep. well. Um, but I know we'll probably get into that a little bit later. Uh, Claxton, Claxton's interesting, right? Because Nets Twitter is absolutely in love with this kid. We we think he's probably going to be the next, you know, Will Chamberlain mixed with Michael Jordan. <laughs> like he is he is going to be the greatest basketball player of all time, you know, according to Nets Twitter. But I, me personally, I I feel like I need to see something from Claxton, not in terms of skill. And just in terms of like getting in the weight room, like yeah. I know he's not gonna put on have like summer that 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 famous Giannis summer where Giannis put on like fifty pounds of muscle like overnight. But you kind of need him to get a little bit stronger. You saw he was a little bit overmatched in even in the um the Celtics series a little bit, you know, battling Time Lord. Uh, but he kind of righted the ship a little bit and Tristan Thompson. But you really saw him exposed in terms of his I guess fragility in the Buck series, not being able to really stay in front of Giannis. You know, Brooke Lopez was kind of having his way a little bit too. So. I think the Nets hold off on Claxton's extension just a bit. The big three extensions, yeah, that's I have I have no idea. That's pretty much going to be up to the big three whether they want to extend or not. Yeah, KD's too busy with Team USA. He's gonna he's obviously the best Team USA player of all time. He's gonna probably expose my boomers in these ex, upcoming exhibition games. James Harden's too busy hanging out with the baby in France, and Kyrie's become a dad. So let's just let them do their thing. They'll figure out the money. Um, they deserve to get whatever they want. You know, they're, they're proven superstars. And I think they'll have that conversation uh, once they you know, get a bit of downtime come, you know, September, late August, whatever it is, once the Olympics are over. So I think that it seems likely enough, you know, if you're putting a percentage of likelihood that they are going to be Brooklyn Nets long-term or finish their careers in Brooklyn, you know, put 70, 80% on it, that they're going to be in the black and white for, for the long-term, you know, into their mid to late 30s. But, you know, crazy things have happened. This is a, a weird and, and wacky league at the same time. So, look, that is the priority number one because I, I, in terms of, like, aging, I think all of them will age pretty well, especially Kevin Durant because he's goddamn Kevin Durant. But I think Kyrie Irving, his ability to just, you know, hit horse shots like it's no one else's business. And James Harden, I think, as his age has almost become, you can just tell he's going to be a, a good old dude. Like, you know, he, he's going to be born in his 50s in the in the big three and probably putting up numbers as well. You know, it doesn't matter if he's like 40 kilos overweight, 40 pounds, whatever it is, overweight. He just knows how to ball. He's a, a pure hooper. So I think that in worrying about their age and all that sort of stuff in a way, like, you know, with Chris Paul or LeBron or whatever, these dudes, uh, I, I think that... I'm beyond the age of stuff. And maybe it's because I'm 30 now and I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm all for the, you know, non-ageism. But 
I, I think that we see these guys in the Brooklyn Nets long term, and um, I think we enjoy a lot of basketball from our big three um, for time to come, for years to come. Yeah, I think the extension of the big three is more likely than seeing the Shamit or Claxton one. Kind of like Justin said, I think the Nets are in really no rush for either guy. You know, Shamit could easily be included in a trade. We're not really sure exactly who he is. Claxton still needs to kind of put a little bit of work in. I think his lower body strength really needs to improve. Then he can bang with some of those bigger guys. And obviously you want to see some of his offensive skill kind of take that next step. But also some of that depends on the Nets and what they're allowing him to do. But talking trades... How would you guys rank the Nets' trade assets, excluding the big three, because obviously they're not going to be traded? Uh, so, yeah, right. I only had about four, uh, four and a half uh, guys in my, like, trade assets-wise. First would be Spencer Dinwiddie. I'm just assuming it'd be a sign-and-trade, so he would yep. be, obviously, the number one uh, trade asset. Number two, say it ain't so, but it's got to be Joe Harris. Um, that This was a tough one because, I mean— we all love Joe Harris, but what he did to us. Don't look for... at Jack while you say this. <laughs> no, look, okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. A, a pretty poppin' group chat when it comes to the Joe Harris <laughs> slander. I think that has almost like swayed me to almost being a Joe Harris non-stan in in some respects. And you know, when I when I was talking about someone on Twitter, someone screenshotted my like profile pic and and put a like you know looking weird and crazy with my Joe Harris shirt. So I I'm I'm. I've got to be an objective Brooklyn Nets podcaster follower. And uh, Joe, I think, has some value. And it, his value might be greater outside of Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. I, it, it's, uh, look, like, I, I tried to stay out of the uh, Joe Harris Civil War as much as possible on Nets Twitter. Um, because I was, I did not realize that that was going to get to that extreme. But I will say, Joe Harris, look, outside of the big three, everybody is tradable on this team. You know, we see in, in this league in general anybody is tradable i did i honestly didn't think james harden could ever be traded like that and look what happened he ended up on the nets i still think the only people that aren't really tradable is like lebron and steph and maybe kd but you know like joe joe harris like, like you said he could definitely help out another team i would be looking at my biggest um team that i would look at in terms of trading joe harris to is the mavericks yeah. uh because i think they really did miss the three-point shooting of Seth Curry, whether they, you know, now he's in, you know, Philly. I think they really missed that last season. Luca having somebody he can kick it out to, a consistent three-point shooter like that. Um, and you know, there's other teams too. I mean, Joe Harris. Let, let, let's not forget, led the league in three-point shooting this year. He's lethal when it's not the playoffs. Um, <laughs> he is coveted by 29 teams in this league. So three, also three, I'd have Nick Claxton, four, Landry Shamit, and then 4.5, I have uh, Elise Johnson, uh, just because of his, uh, what is the, I think his three-year deal is like non-guaranteed, so that yep. could just be thrown in, you know, just to boost, uh, you know, a trade. Yeah, I think that that's sort of, and I think that, you know, as a rotation player, I'm a big fan of Alizé, and I'll throw in something that Justin didn't uh, allude to. I think the number 27 pick might be, I'm not sure where it ranks in, in where sort of Justin was I saying. but under I, Joe Harris and Nick Claxton, but ahead of Landry Shamit. Yeah, and, and I mean, if you're depending on the team that you're trading with and what package is it a part of, is it just with DeAndre Jordan to offload his money and get something in return? Or is it a part of a Joe Harris deal where you're getting extra value and, and the number 27 pick? And, you know, I don't think those first round picks, whether they're late or mid or whatever, or beyond lottery or anything to sneeze at. Because if you are a 
a good general manager and you have a good front office, then you find value in that. You know, Sean Marks has done that year after year after year. Jared Allen, Nicholas Claxton, Karis Avert, all in their 20s. And, you know, I think that, you know, Rudy Gobert found in the 20s as well. So I think that the the number, um, I, I think it's more about, you know, the pick itself. And the Nets also do have a 2028 first rounder yep. that they will be able to trade as well. So if they add that in, does that get extra value in a Joe Harris trade, a, a sign-in trade with Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, a DeAndre Jordan trade, uh, a Landry Shaman adding in there? Landry Shaman obviously has been on the trade was on the trade block in the the midseason. You know, the Nets were desperate to retain Jared Allen. I think we all were at the same time. Um, And they wanted to end Landry Shaman instead. But obviously, Jared Allen's value is just exponential in comparison. So I think that the the Nets have some wiggle room that you would expect not a lot of other contending teams to have, um, which I think is quite positive uh, for this offseason. And you can bet that, you know, for a contending team, you know, First round picks, unless they are ready-made Sadiq Bay level, which the Nets could have had, uh, the, that the, the Nets are the Nets aren't going to necessarily make that pick. It's Daryl Morey style. Throw the picks out the window. Get guys that can reliably perform for this team. And that's why I think that those picks are, are, are pretty goddamn intriguing for this Brooklyn Nets team in their championship aspirations. Yeah, I think that 28 pick, um, like 2028 pick is probably more valuable than this year's pick because obviously there's some unknown. You know, the Nets could not have the big three. They could be a terrible team. That could be a great pick. So I think you could definitely intrigue some people with that. I'm, I think I have Nick Claxton over Joe Harris, in my opinion, but that's also depending on the tra- tra- uh, team you're trading to. Obviously, you know, Clax is so young, there's so much potential there, and I think as he develops, he'll develop into, like, a very good defensive player, potential defensive player of the year type guy, and a guy that you could keep on the floor all the time. And I had DeAndre underneath the second-round picks because I think, obviously, at this point, he's the a negative. second round? Yeah, no, that's, that's yeah, no, he's a negative asset. And I had Alizé just above the second-round picks because, like Justin mentioned, non-guaranteed contract, showed a little bit of pop. You know, at least you kind of have an idea he could turn into an, a solid NBA player where when you're drafting the second round, you really don't know what you're getting into. So, like you said, Jack, some decent things the Nets can throw out there and acquire. You know, I don't think they can acquire a superstar or maybe not even an all-star, but a, a very good starter and potentially a closing five player. I mean, Kevin Durant's doing his work at Team USA. We, we heard we heard plenty of rumors. I can't remember who it was that said. I think it might have been Beal or Tatum sort of saying, you know, I know, I think it was Bradley Beal, you know, that he's yep. like, you know, how, how, much, how much team up talk is going to be happening? He's like, a lot. And I'm just like, <laughs> hmm, Bam out of bio, Jason Tatum. How does uh, Brooklyn look to you guys? <laughs> how many years you got left on your deal? We'll talk to you that, soon. <laughs> I was about to say, man, look, Boston Media was already writing those hit pieces on uh, Tatum, you know, saying he don't got the drive to make you. So I'm like, hey, like, Tate, you know, Tatum, hey, Tatum already has a great relationship with Kyrie, right? Yeah. As soon as the Nets get their three-peat with Kyrie, Harden, and uh, KD, and then we bring in Jason Tatum. There you go. There's the next three-peat. Yes, sir. I hate to be Matt Sullivan about this, but Kyrie <laughs> Irving as a, as a trade piece, lads. Now, I hate... I, again, I don't think it's worth a discussion, um, but is there any universe in the world that Kyrie Irving is on the trade block for this Brooklyn Nets team? On the trade block or accepting a trade? Either. 
I, I think a trade the trade block is a zero. I mean, obviously, if someone offered you Steph Curry or LeBron James or Kyrie Irving, you're not going to say no. I don't think the Nets are like but looking Josh for. Josh doesn't get it done. Hold on. I don't <laughs> think so, Kendrick. No, <laughs> um, but I mean, it would have to be some crazy offer. It would really mess up the chemistry, and you'd have to convince you know Kevin Durant to be worth it. I honestly, I don't see really any possibility. I'd put it at less than a one percent chance that Kyrie Irving is traded. Yeah, I mean, Doctor Strange probably has a universe in which it, uh, you know, <laughs> happens, but that's probably like a one in like five trillion chance. Yep. Yeah, I don't, I just don't see it. I know, like that was also a hot button issue. Like, I, I can't believe there was actually people, like even like analysts and like other writers, you know, trying to say like, oh yeah, trading uh, Kyrie away for uh, you know, in that in that Harden trade. I'm like, well, why? You don't, you don't have to do it. Yeah. Why would you do it? <laughs> I mean, I again, I'll, I'll answer my own question. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you guys in in that respect. Kyrie Irving, he is he's he's born and bred. You know, I think that he loves this New Jersey team more than any other dude out there. Um, I, I just, I I, I I think it's unfathomable, and I think that people will use a lot of the Nets superstars' names to get some clout. Um, yep. You know, CC the people that I've just uh, alluded to and whatever other ESPN analysts. You know, there's probably going to be some hit piece from Rachel Nichols coming up sooner rather than later, <laughs> or someone at ESPN, whether it's Jackie Mack uh, as well. So I think that Kyrie Irving is an easy target, and when it comes to sort of you know the Nets, the Nets go will go through some sort of form slump next season. They'll lose three or four in a row, and you know who's yeah. going to be in the trade block? It's going to be Kyrie Irving. You know whose fault it's going to be? It's going to be Kyrie Irving. Now. I, I just think that it's uh, a little bit absurd. But, and we did see, obviously, some issues. I'm not discounting, you know, him sort of, you know, his communication with the front office and, and his teammates and the coaching staff might have been a little bit lax um, when he did take that time off um, w- with his partner and, and for his sister's uh, birthday as well. I'm not saying that that totally discounting that, but I think in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, we're all pretty smart people here. Um, but unfortunately, there aren't smart people in, in even higher places than us three. Yeah, I mean, it just it's just not likely. Obviously, he signed here with Kevin Durant being a thing. It is honestly not even worth discussing really anymore. Like you said, Jack, it'll probably get brought up if the Nets have any type of issue next year, but it's really not a thing. But moving on from there, what would you say are the Nets' biggest offseason needs? I think, obviously, you could make an argument that the Nets ran it back. They'd still be the best team in the league. But how could they upgrade and make this team as great as possible? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the number one thing I think everybody will agree on just size up front, like yep. just having a reliable big man there. Like, let's be honest, DeAndre Jordan. It's really, it's, it's more frustrating than sad. Just, you know, cause DeAndre Jordan, he showed, it'd be one thing if DeAndre was just washed the entire year, but he showed you spurts where, Hey, he's actually trying, right? Yep. Like even when he got reinserted back into the starting lineup last season, you know, once Kenny Atkinson, you know, was 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 let go, uh, you saw a, re- a ju- rejuvenated um, DeAndre. You saw how well he worked with Harden in the pick and roll. Then he just goes away. So you kind of need a more reliable guy than that. Um, after that, a capable reserve ball handler. Uh, mm. You know, if, if we do lose Spencer, if Nets do lose Spencer Dinwiddie, you got to replace. You got to replace that like ASAP. Um, I don't, even if you do retain Tyler Johnson, I don't think he's reliable enough. Um, like you alluded to earlier to have in a, a playoff rotation. And then lastly, I would say a three and D wing, uh, just somebody that can also stretch the floor, but does give you that defensive presence because 
apparently defense is like the only thing people care about when talking about the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> so, you know, having a guy that can lock up, you know, somebody else's either star or make it uncomfortable for them all night while also contributing on the offensive end would be a plus. Yeah, Justin clearly has access to my Google Doc because I had all those things written down. <laughs> the only thing that I'll, I'll I'll say is, you know, we alluded to Spencer Dimwitty being lost. If the Nets do lose Jeff Green, that increases the 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 massive. It probably increases the urgency for a need of a, a a wing defender. You know, a guy who can hit a shot from from three as well. So, if that doesn't happen and Jeff Green is there. I think that that is lower on the the sort of priority list. But at the same time, you can never have too many solid enough wing defenders out there. Yeah, I mean, you guys pretty much nailed that. I'll just go through my list. It's essentially a lot of the same things. I think you'd like to add one or two more players capable of closing. They don't have to be in your closing lineup, but you want to have somebody you're willing to throw on the floor in a closing lineup. If you do get hit with, you know, injuries like you did this year, I think you want more veteran and playoff experienced players. You know, you don't want a TLC. You don't want a Mike James, you know, maybe not even a Tyler Johnson. Like you guys said, the defensive wing at three and D somebody who can give you offensive spacing while still making life hard for the other team a defensive big that's capable of closing the game and giving you some type of rim protection or post defense, um, you know, some NBA level backup point guards, some bench shot creation as well. So you guys pretty much nailed it. It's not a ton for the Nets. It's just kind of around the edges and kind of finalizing things and really making this team as great as possible. Yeah, I always hark back to Bob Myers. I can't remember if there's a Sloan conference or whatever it was where he was just saying that, you know, we we look too much at like, you know, prototypes and stuff. And it's just like, you need basketballers. Yep. Like guys who can just like do more than one thing and aren't narrowed by their skill set, which is probably what Joe Harris got exposed for a lot in this postseason. You want guys that can pass a little bit. You want guys that can hit a shot from, you know, mid range and from three. You want guys who can defend a little bit, rebound the ball. You want guys that Nick sort of alluded to. At the end of the day, you want guys that can be six, seven, eight, nine in the rotation when it comes to the yep. playoffs for Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni and the coaching staff to make some decisions uh, and, and make them make hard decisions. So I think that that's something that we probably as, you know, we love to sort of, well, the Nets need this prototype. Whereas if, if you've got a guy who can do a couple of little different things here and there, not normally uh, are there many guys out there. There, there seems to be a, a lot more role player-esque um, when it comes to, you know, the depths of the roster. But, you know, Jeff Green, I think that's why we love him so much because yep. he can do so many different things. He is a really solid rebounder. I think he is a good passer. He does create his own shot. You know, he's he's got like a really nice post game uh, offensively as well. That's why I think Jeff Green is like, you know, such a good role player because he does things beyond, you know, just three and D. Um, yep. And th those guys aren't necessarily a dime a dozen. Yeah, and it makes it so much harder on the defense. Like when they're trying to force you into a weakness, if you have guys that can actually play basketball and not just play a certain way, it just opens up so much more, like you said, Jack. And it's just, it's really important to have people that are comfortable with the ball in their hands in the postseason. But uh, moving on from that, obviously, we talked about the needs. Now we can look at some targets. We did our trade proposal shows, we touched on a ton of different guys. Justin, any possible trade targets that pop to your mind that these are like the guys that you really hope the Nets try to make a move for? Uh, yeah. Uh, first off, Dorian Finney-Smith from the Mavs. Um, I think like kind of tying it all together. I think a um, I think a sign-in trade with Dinwiddie to the Mavericks for yep. Finney-Smith, maybe a uh, Kleber or Dwight Powell uh, yep. thrown in there. You know, however you want to mix up the uh, you know the the draft picks. I think that could be beneficial for both teams because it gives. Dallas, a secondary ball handler for Luka, so he doesn't have to do literally everything. Yep. And it gives the Nets not only a 3 and D guy in Dorian Finney-Smith, who 
is only going to have four million against the cap next season. But it also gives you a guy like Kleba or Dwight Powell, whatever one you want, that has size. I believe they're both six ten, like two forty. So big guys. They their rebounding stats don't jump off the page, but you don't really need them to. You know, if you're going to have them in a lineup with a Kevin Durant or a Jeff Green or a Blake Griffin, where it's like, all right, even a, even James Harden, who's turned out to be a very very good rebounder for his you know position, you don't need some. You just need some bulk down there. Yeah. Um, Thaddeus Young is another trade target. It'd be pretty. It'd be pretty harder because I don't see any other value, um, you know, in terms of making that trade work with the uh, Bulls. But a guy Nets fans are familiar with, uh, you know what his game is. Another guy that can be on the wing, solid defender, can give you 14, 15 points a night if need be. Uh, I know a, a, there's a subsection of Nets fans that love uh, that think it's possible to get a Miles Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be phenomenal. I think that'd be you know like. If Marks pulled that off, I'd be like, all right, just don't even. Why do Why do other GMs try? Uh, <laughs> what do you think of his weaknesses, though, Justin? Because I was I was saying about this with Nick that you know he is a one of the best rim protectors in the league, an all defensive caliber center, but he isn't a good rebounder. And we sort of talked about the the sort of basketball qualities that he is quite limited. Like he is a decent yeah. enough three point shooter, and you could space the floor to an extent. But he is like he makes Brooke Lopez look like you know prime DeAndre Jordan in terms of his rebounding abilities. Do you think that his strengths are, are are that great and that solid that they would offset? I guess you know his poor rebounding, his poor you know passing, and I guess his poor in lack of aggression. Skills. Yeah, he's he's not super tough. And like you know, if you're going up against Joel Embiid, even even Giannis, if you're switching him him on to play him at the five, you know, I'd don't see a level of reliability for Miles Turner yet, but maybe that changes. Maybe I'm just sort of seeing things from a certain lens. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's it's fair to say, you know, and in, in, you know, the the criticisms of his game are definitely there. Um, but it could be enough. It could also be the case of you know, kind of like a Blake Griffin, where you come to a team that's a contender and you have something to prove. You know, like you have that that stigma or that that thing on your back where people are saying like, oh, you know, he doesn't rebound that well, or he doesn't, you know, he's not aggressive. Then he comes to a team that you're on a, a team with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. The expectations for for what you need to do on the court raise not only for that's what they expect, but you kind of want to do that for yourself to make it seem like, all right, there's value for me here. Um, yeah, the rebounding does, you know, uh, play a, a factor in lack, the lack of aggressive, aggressiveness. I'm not as worried about because when you have three guys that can put the ball in the basket the way that the big three can. You know, it kind of hides your limitations on offense to a degree, and you're not expected to have as much of the offensive workload that he probably had in Indiana. Um, but I do see that there are some, um, you know, limitations to his game. Also, you know, 36 mil over the next two years is not the most friendly. You know, you're going to have to move a lot of money around. But, you know, like, like I said, it's one of those, like, pipe dream type things. And uh, the last person I had was Marcus Morris, who I think is also another very – uh, gettable guy in terms of a sign and trade. Um, you know, we saw, you know, we saw the the, the Clippers with uh, Bobby Schmurda out here uh, hooping. <laughs> <laughs> we saw him hooping in the in, in in the playoffs, and you know, he look, he 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 got himself into a position where he's going to get a bag this season, whether it's going to come for the Clippers or somewhere else, he's going to get it. So hey, a sign and trade. You send Spencer to uh, the Clippers. They get their an All Star caliber guard to pair with PG and Kawhi. Nets bring in Marcus Morris, who, as you alluded to earlier, the Nets kind of need somebody that's tough. You know, that's, that's kind of a, uh, you know, stigma with the Nets. They don't have any tough guys. Marcus Morris, 
Say what you want. I think he's come sometimes a fake tough guy, but <laughs> at yeah. least he'll, you know, get in somebody's face. And I mean, could you ask for a better guy at the, you know, the four, if you do lose Jeff Green yeah. or, you know, some, uh, or Blake Griffin, he would be the perfect guy to slot in because not only he shoots a three and he can also be a part of the, uh, that closing lineup that you were talking about. Yeah, he's a switchable player, obviously gives you some of that toughness, can knock down a three ball, play solid defense. I mean, Marcus Morris would be great. Honestly, I don't even think Miles Turner is an extreme pipe dream because I feel like he's been on the table for a minute. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the Pacers have mm. almost moved him last year in the Gordon Hayward move, and I think there are some things like a, a la Joe Harris or even a Spencer Dinwiddie sign-in trade would be a possibility for Indiana. I think Harris is more attractive given they already have a lot of guards, but... I really like the idea of Marcus Morris. It'd be interesting to see the Clippers be willing to give him up. But Spencer obviously is a very, very good player. Jack, any names you want to throw out there? I know we touched on like 30 of them in the last two episodes. but We did, but I'll I'll bring back the Larry Nance. <laughs> yep, that's Jet where I was going to go. apparently is the mode of transport, <clears throat> according to the glue guys. For those that are on the, the Larry Nance bandwagon, that is the mode of transport. Um, I, I can't say enough about how ideal of a fit he would be. I think he is... Uh, for play, for people that don't watch the Cleveland Cavaliers, <clears throat> if you watch him against the, the Brooklyn Nets, you know what he did. If you could watch Cleveland play any other games, his versatility defensively is so immense that it's it's almost hard to fathom. And he has improved as a three ball, uh, his three ball. And you know, a, a lot of people are sort of saying, you know, the Nets lack a little bit of athleticism. Boy, oh boy, Larry Nance Jr. covers that void and then some uh, as well. So. Uh, all in on Larry Nance, I think he's probably even less likely than the names that uh, that Justin did bring up. But um, if it, there is a will, there is a way, and um, I'm all in on making it happen. Oh, yeah, obviously, I would love Larry Nance as well. Obviously, we talked about that a ton. Um, you guys touched on most of the guys I really had. I think Robert Covington would be a possibility if Dame is traded. Um, mm. Kendrick Williams and uh, Kenrich Williams, in which we talked about in the last show. You brought up Maxi. I think that's a decent option too. A guy that Jack kind of talked me into a little bit last year was Kyle Anderson. I think he's probably worked up on my list, but I'm not sure if Memphis would really look to move him. Yeah. <laughs> Slow mo, really. Um, Derek White was a guy that I kind of thought of as well, just as a potential Spencer Dinwiddie going to San Antonio. Uh, other than that, like these are some trades that I thought of that were in a way to get rid of DeAndre Jordan and bring back someone of value would be like a DeLon Wright, a Terrence Ross, or even potentially a Mason Plumley, like where you could dump DeAndre and take back a player who's not great. Like these aren't great players, but they at least can do something on the floor a little bit more than DeAndre Jordan could. Oh yeah. I would, I would take uh if I could flip uh Mason Plumley for uh DeAndre Jordan, I would do it in a heartbeat. I mean, we yeah. saw that game in Detroit where Mason put TLC on an N1 mixtape. <laughs> yeah. We all saw I it. think you throw it first and I think it's not that crazy. Oh, it's, it's not. It's not. Uh, and I look, Jack. I love the um, the Larry Nance one. The only reason why I didn't put him on my list is because I really feel like Cleveland loves, loves him, him. Yeah. and yeah. he's gonna throw the bag at him. So it'd be almost impossible. And I think they love him to the extent that they might, they may lose Jarrett, um, mm -hmm. just because. But I mean, like, like you said, I mean, he hits all the boxes. Like, at, at, he can jump out the gym. He's long. His three-point shooting, like you said, has has come around. We saw it in those two Cleveland games, you know, where I'm like, you know, when did Larry Dan shoot the three? Like, <laughs> you know? <Yep. laughs> but, you know, slow-mo would also be a great one. I, but I think he's, you know, Memphis is going to build around that young core. But, I mean, his yep. he's another one where it's like, you look up and you're like, how did he get 18 points and, and seven yeah. bounds? Like, when did this happen? 
Yeah, no, for sure. I think it's kind of all the same mold of a lot of the players that we're looking at here and what the Nets could add. And it'll be interesting to see what Sean Marks does. There's a good chance he trades for someone that we didn't even mention. You know, actually, I have one more dream pick. This is kind of more of a pipe dream. I just saw someone on Charlotte's uh, Twitter throw this out there that they could trade him would be a Miles Bridges. I just think he would fit a little bit. The only thing that I would question with him would be his lack of playoff experience. But I think the athletic pop, the rebounding, the toughness, switchability would be something that could really help the Nets. Yeah, I think with it's interesting, like sort of like young guys, you know, that haven't either got an opportunity or haven't popped off yet. Um, you know, we had uh, Marvin Bagley get brought up um, previously as well. Oh. I, obviously, we're not the biggest fan of that, but Miles Bridges, I think, you know, under the tutelage of you know a Kevin Durant, more, you know, even more so. Obviously, you know, we've got great coaches and great development staff, but you, know, you look at the ability of the the leadership and the experience and the skills of our big three. We've heard, you know, time and time again, you know, how much they impact, you know, Toy and Prince in seasons past, Landry Shamet this season, um, and, and everything that they're doing for, you know, the young guys uh, and up, you know, you know, same with Nicholas Claxton as well, you know, with, with James Harden and Kevin Durant and even DJ to an extent as well. So I think that, you know, there, there might be some diamonds out there or maybe, you know, unfound diamonds, uncut gems, whatever you want to call them, um, that Sean Marks could be looking for. And, you know, there'll be teams that, you know, you might even look to teams that the Nets have history trading with. That's why yep. I think a Plumlee doesn't necessarily, um, isn't out of the realms of possibility, even if Troy Weaver might be a little bit scared that he's going to get swindled again by Sean <laughs> Marks like he did in that Bruce Brown deal. Maybe if you throw in a, a an, an uncut, an unproven, I don't know, did the Nets have like a Russian or a Slovenian stash guy that maybe... Had they have the French dude, Isaiah Cornier or whatever. Maybe that's the guy that you throw over there. He's throw been him a Nets in there. stash for years. Yeah, throw him in there. Uh, but yeah, I think that there is possibilities that the Nets add a, a somewhat young-ish guy. Um, and I think that that can give the team a, a different... Not an identity totally, but it's sort of like, you know, it, it gives you a little bit of a spark that I don't yep. think that a lot of sort of vet you know, proven teams. Well, Claxton brings kind of a little bit. Claxton brings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Free agent target wise, what do you guys think? And I have like a list of like an insane amount of people I could go through and you guys could tell me where you want me to stop or you guys can give me your favorite targets, your choice. Um, I mean, I I think I broke... I, I broke mine down into uh, guards, wings, centers. I think I only get, I think I only put like maybe four or five in each. Let's uh, go with your list. Mine's probably too long. We'll be here another <laughs> hour. <laughs> uh, so guards, uh, just just threw out some names. Josh Hart, a guy I love. Yep. Uh, loved him since he came in the league. I know he's a restricted free agent. And I know the Pelicans have a tough decision to make in terms of uh, their offer sheet to him and uh, Lonzo. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see there. I, I think... It'd be smart to keep tabs on that, you know, yep. with the whole Dinwiddie, Tyler Johnson, Shields thing. Um, Trajan Langdon as well, the the sort yep. of relationship with him as the assistant GM. Oh, I think he is the GM, but like behind David Griffin in the pecking order. And, you know, the relationship with Sean Marks, you know, maybe something happens. I would love Josh Hart, yeah. Yep. Um, I got TJ McConnell. I yep. think uh, that, you know, it's funny, like referencing uh, Chioza. I think that's what Chioza could be. If he was just a little bit more consistent, because uh, TJ McConnell is not the biggest guy in the world. He's also some defensively. He's annoying. He's turned into like a dude that gets, I think Zach Lowe's like obsessed with him. Like all the, like the backcourt steals that he gets, like he would. Yeah. I I, I like these names. I'm a big fan of these names. I was, um, I was in college at, at Temple when TJ was on the, um, the Sixers. I'm like, he was arguably my favorite player during the process. You know, watching them go into those $6 games. Um, (laughs) Like, he, I think he's, 
he's great because he saw you know what you're gonna get game in and game out. You know, he he, he put up a triple double last season. Like, you know, so not gonna score a lot, maybe eight, eight points a game, if that. You know he's gonna distri- he's gonna facilitate, he's gonna distribute, he's looking for everybody else's shot aside from his own. Like you said, he gets like four steals a game, like two in the backcourt. <laughs> yep. So uh, he's unrestricted. You could probably snatch him up for maybe like one year, maybe five mil, six mil. Uh, Austin Rivers, I yeah, think, I could him. be a solid guy. Um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna protect him from his dad because I mean, you know, his dad likes to trade him a lot, so, <laughs> so he, he can't hurt you anymore, Austin. But um, just another guy can shoot it from three. We saw it in the um, the the Denver Portland series. You know, just how lethal of a shooter he he can be. We saw how well he were he did with the Knicks earlier this season. I was I was that's why I was surprised when he you know inevitably was off the team. Uh, just another guy, capable ball handler, knows how to win, has playoff experience. Um, I think would mesh really, really well, either off ball, on ball, getting players involved. Um, he's got some history with James Harden as well in, in yep. Houston. Yep, in, uh, yeah, so. in Houston, yep. Yeah. Um, campaign I threw in there just because he is a free agent, but I ex- fully expect him to go back to, uh, Phoenix. And then, you know, everybody's favorite, uh, Brooklynite, JJ Redick, uh, <laughs> Just because you have to throw him in there, you know, yep. he, he he want he likes to live in Brooklyn. He's been rumored to be, you know, for the Nets for like what the past like two years since he left uh Philly. So I I, I don't think but the thing is I don't think he comes to the Nets unless Joe Harris is traded. Because it make or Landry, because it makes no sense to have three sharpshooters, even though JJ proved that he has more of a bag offensively, especially when he was with the Sixers. Um, I think he was averaging like what 15, 16 points a game for them. But having three guys that have similar, you know, skill sets just doesn't really mesh. So he only really comes if either Shaman or Joe is is gone. So that's what yeah. I got for the guards. And his defense is kind of rough. Like it's extremely mm-hmm. rough. It's like, you know, probably worse than Chris Gio's at this point. <laughs> no disrespect. Um but I think, you know, Austin Rivers is a guy that I would really love for the Nets to get because he's the type of guy that, like, oh, shit, like, the big three, two of the guys just went down. Austin Rivers might drop you a 25-piece for no reason because that's just what he can do. So he's kind of, like, the ideal type of guard. And he's been signing for veteran minimums, like, on the reg, it seems like. So it's a realistic target. What do you think of Jack? Yeah, all those names certainly do stick out. You know, I think Josh Hart would be incredible just because of the defense and yeah. and, and you know i'm sure he'd create a few memes uh in a uh, three-point shooter we, i feel like he's improved too definitely definitely and and i think you know in the in, in a mike d'antoni steve nash system he would let it fly so any of those guys um i think would add uh, immense uh, uh, a pronounced value to the Brooklyn Nets squad i got a couple more guards i think these two were maybe real ish smith would be a guy i think would sign a veteran minimum nets killer uh, Patty Mills, if he was just looking to get another yes! championship, and be a, yes! I think he'd be great. I mean, he'd be you know, obviously has a championship experience, can knock down the three ball. Um, Garrett Temple coming back. Hey, but we're not, we're not skipping past Patty Mills. You know, if you're okay, speaking you know. about an Australian on this podcast, you need to let the Australian speak for about 15 minutes about him. Now, Patty Mills, flag bearer for the Australian team, you know, uh, it, uh, absolute. Marvel when it comes to Olympic basketball. You guys are going to see it. If you weren't watching the, the World Championships in 2019-20, uh, he balled out and almost beat Spain by himself. I think that culture-wise, 
And obviously, I think Sean Marks might even have a history with him, what he would give the Nets. And we're sort of talking about, you know, reserve ball handler if the Nets were to lose Spencer Dinwiddie. Now, I think he might get a little bit targeted defensively, but I think he also does provide a little bit of hustle. He is a, an awesome three-point shooter, can create his own shot there. I'm, a, I'm all in on Patty Mills. And, you know, if we're doing a Patty, if, if the Nets sign Patty Mills, then we're doing a three-hour podcast about it. We're going on <laughs> Patreon, wherever <laughs> other platform it is. All in on Aussie Patty. No, I think it would really be a great fit. And I think the reason I could talk myself into the net signing him and getting him would be that he's looking for another championship, playing with the Spurs in like a real opportunity. They might have to use the taxpayer mid-level exception on him, but it could be something to consider if he gives you that type of pop. Um, just a few more guards. You know, Gary Temple, like I said, I think I wouldn't rule out a possibility of him coming back. Veteran minimum didn't really have a great year in Chicago. Um, I'd also look at, you know, Wesley Matthews, another guy, vet minimum possibility. And even a guy like Wayne Ellington, if they did get rid of a Joe Harris or Landry Shamit, that'd be another guy who could fill in, get some solid minutes from him. But Jack, any guards you, I missed? You guys listed every single free agent <laughs> guard. So uh, I feel like we have I... mentioned every free agent guard because we even talked about like the high end ones. We talked Spencer Dinwiddie, though. But yeah. uh, next category, Justin, what do you got? All right, so in my wings category, I got uh, Tory Craig uh, from Phoenix. Don't know if they're married to Tony Craig, uh, Tory Craig. Um, even if they win the championship, he seems like a guy that could go. You know, he could say he could go. Uh, David Nwaba, I would love a return. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I think he he definitely captured the hearts of uh, Nets fans, and I mean that. That when he went down against the Spurs, I mean, it it just felt like a gut punch. Yeah, you know, like you just and you knew it as soon as he went down. What 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 went ha what what happened? But look, he's rejuvenated. We saw some of his athleticism in the uh, those two Rockets games, um, and even just some Rockets games I saw on a league pass. His athleticism looks like it never left. You know, he's he looks he's built like a football player. So. That, that could definitely help the Nets in terms of uh, if, if they're going to play small, playing him, you know, up against, say, threes and fours. Can you imagine he, lineups with him and Bruce Brown at the same time? <laughs> oh, my God. Like, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then I think the big name, I think this would be really great, P.J. Tucker, just so he stops harassing yeah. Kevin Durant. <laughs> you know, just like, uh, you know, we're, we're going to get you on the team just so you can stop bothering us. Uh, but in all seriousness, he would definitely add, like I said, like the, the toughness factor, another guy that you can throw out there um, in small lineups, the, the switchability with him, you know, getting under the skin of other, um, you know, star players and things like that. And he has, he has the history, you know, with yep. Kevin Durant, you know, from the Texas days, you know, we saw, you know, the viral video of uh, uh, him and Katie's mom, yep. you know, talking on the sideline. Um, also unrestricted free agent. So I think the Bucks will, you know, will try everything in their might to keep him there, but he's a name to look out for. Reggie Bullock is a name that, um, you know, Knicks guy, he impressed me this season. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Watching, you know, the Knicks game since, you know, all their games are on TV. Uh, solid three-point shooter. You know, he'll give you something on defense. It's not a lockdown, but he'll give you something. And then lastly, Doug McDermott. I know, you know, the defense isn't, you know, his calling card, but – Look, he called Dougie McBuckets for a reason. When he wants to, he can light it up. Another scoring option. You know, he's got some size. You can maybe hide him on defense if you need to. But I think somebody that, hey, look, if, if you know, one of our main scorers goes down or he's part of the second unit, he's going to get a lot of open looks just because of the gravity that, you know, guys like James Harden and, and Kyrie Irving, you know, create. 
Yeah, I love it. I mean, I had a lot of those guys. I also threw out uh, Trevor Ariza would be a guy, uh, James Ennis, even like a James Johnson, Mo Harkless. Also, I think like a secret sneaky pick that I could see signing with the Nets would be a guy like Rudy Gay, like looking to win a championship, take that veteran minimum contract. Jack, anybody else you thinking? Um, Nicholas Batum is probably, um, you know, I think Net, the Nets Twitter has been in love with him at, at a certain point in time. Uh, before I, you know, dive somewhat deeper on him, I was so in on the Tory Craig when, you know, he was let go by the Milwaukee Bucks. I was yep. dumbfounded. You know, it's just like, why are you giving up a guy that can just do some stuff for you that could easily, you know, play in a rotation? And he's proven that in Phoenix, obviously not to a great extent, but I think in Brooklyn. He's getting minutes in the finals. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He is, and I think you know he will continue to get minutes, and I think you can you can throw him some minutes out there on Giannis. So I'll, I'm all in on that. PJ Tucker, uh, I, I'm just worried because the practices. Uh, as long as he's not guarding KD in practice, uh, <laughs> then, I'm, then I'm then I'm happy um, having having PJ Tucker on the team. But yeah, Nicholas Batum, we, we sort of saw he, what he did uh, for the Clippers under Ty Lue, and you know he was playing small ball five, and you know playing Rudy Gobert off the floor in in a lot of respects, and. Uh, he hit the three ball, you know, somewhat revitalized, defensively solid. I think that the reason we saw limited minutes from him when people probably wanted to see extended minutes from him might have been, you know, that he, his tank might be a, a little bit lesser, you know, as he heads into the t- twilight of his career. But I'm still uh, I'm still in on the Frenchman. Yeah, no, I think Batum would be great. I mean, it would just be for him to leave, you know, the Clippers because the deals are going to be about the same. But if he wants to leave, I would love to have him on the Nets. I think he'd be a great fit, like you said. Justin, what do you got for bigs? Uh, bigs. All right, so number one, Serge Ibaka. I know he has the player option. I know that's who Nets fans thought was coming because <laughs> of his relationship with KD and everything else. And honestly, I, I kind of thought Serge Ibaka was going to be on our opening night roster as well. Um, but yeah, things ended up going a different way. But he's somebody that I think could be thrown into a sign-and-trade, you know, with Spencer Dinwiddie if, you know, send over Spence, we get back, you know, Marcus Morris, Serge Ibaka, um, you know, it's unfortunate about, you know, his injury, you know, keeping him out of the playoffs, but I think he's somebody that would definitely give the Nets, you know, that boost in the front court, can also spread the floor as well with his three-point shooting. Uh, Rashawn Holmes is uh, is a mm. guy that I, I think would really, really do well here. I think he was like a 14-8 and eight guy last season. Um, he's, wait, you know, as long as he stays in Sacramento, he's going to waste his career. Yeah. Um, so let's, 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 let's save him a little bit. Uh, you know, he's got some size, definitely got some athleticism there. I mean, the lobs between like him and, and Harden would probably be on sports center every single night. Yep. Um, Dwight Howard, another unrestricted free agent guy, you know, say what you want. You know, it, it would be his second tenure with the Nets, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one was but, really long. <laughs> yeah. But, um. No, I think I think Dwight could definitely we've seen Dwight since, you know, the whole Lakers, you know, fiasco, I guess, whatever you want to call it. He's bounced around in different spots, but every spot he's gone to, he's been a solid contributor. I remember what his uh, 30 rebound game was against the Nets when he was with uh, Charlotte. Yep. Yeah. So I, you saw what he did with the uh, the six, the Sixers this year. You know, he was the reason why the Nets there were so many so much worry about, oh, how can they defend the front court? Things like that. Having him on the team gives you that, I guess, toughness. Definitely gives you size. Another guy that still has his athleticism. His free throw shooting is actually decent. At least it's a little bit more reliable than uh, Giannis right now. Um, and then lastly, I would say it might be a little bit of a, a stretch. You know, maybe just a bargain bin kind of guy. But Willie Cauley-Stein, um, you know, 
another guy, his, his rebounding numbers aren't spectacular, but he has, his wingspan is literally the length of like a condors. <laughs> you know, he's another yeah. guy with, a, with athleticism, some toughness uh, that you can just, hey, you know, you throw the ball up and he's going to go get it. So that's what I got in my uh, four centers. Yeah, I got. I have a couple of those same guys as well. I really like the idea of Dwight Howard. I think that makes a lot of sense. I had oh, Javale McGee. Can I push oh. back on this Dwight Howard idea? Like, he was, and maybe this was the 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 lineups where Doc Rivers put him out there with Ben Simmons at the same time. Well, that yeah, that's that right there, Jack. <laughs> I, I, part of me thinks that like he he's gone beyond. We talked about like you know just basketball abilities and stuff earlier. Like like he's getting more known for like the goon stuff, like Patrick Beverly style antics than the basketball stuff. Like I, I get like in terms of the, if the Nets lose Blake Griffin, then then yeah, I, I'm for it. But if the Nets retain Blake Griffin, I, I think that a, a lot of the other names that we sort of alluded to, I would rather go for a Willie Colley Stein, a guy who's unproven. And if you're giving me like, you know, those names, I think Rashawn Holmes is the pipiest dream out of all of them just because I think he has the most value. I think even like a, a Charlotte Hornets team would probably be be wise to throw some money at him. But I'm not that high on Dwight Howard. And maybe there's some elements of subjectivity and, and bias towards, you know, what he's done to the Brooklyn Nets in the past and how he's treated our franchise. And I just, uh, you know, I was much higher on him when he was rumored to come here, you know, <laughs> two or three seasons ago. But I just don't think he has that much left in the tank. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'd want him to play big rotation minutes, but he'd be like an option to have as like your, you know, third big or somebody to play. I think JaVel McGee would be a guy I'd look at, even maybe potentially uh, Bismack Biombo, just like a size option. I'm not saying like this center needs to play, but just if you do match up with Joel Embiid and you do trade DeAndre Jordan, you need to have somebody with some type of size, even potentially like a Tristan Thompson if he were to be out of Boston. Uh, that'd be like another guy. Dwayne Dedman's a guy that we love. It seems like the Nets don't really love him, though, because they could have signed him last year, too. So, I mean, there are just some different options. Jack, you have any other bigs you're looking at? Um, I guess I'll throw Rodney Hollis-Jefferson in as a big. Um, I, I think that, you know, he's shown in when he's given opportunities, whether it's Paul and Toronto and stuff, they give you something. So I, I think that, you know, RHJ is still an NBA caliber player. Ken Birch, I think, is going to be back in mm. Toronto for some sort of extension, but I like him. And, you know, I was all in on the Deadman experience for, for quite a while, but it seems to me that Miami had some other ideas there. But, yeah, I don't hate a, a lot of those sort of names. But, again, th these guys are, you know, filling out the rotation to an extent. Yep. But who would be at the top of that list? Other than, I guess, Rashawn Holmes, I think Justin is probably right on the money with that. But, Justin, who do you think out of, like, you know, the sort of fringe dudes, Dwight Howard, Dwayne Dedman, JaVale McGee, all these sort of dudes, who Willie Colley-Stein, who would you say is, like, 1A as the guy sort of at the top of that sort of fringe list? Uh, So I think 1A would probably still be Ibaka, um, just in terms of he's, he's – he, it seems like he's gettable – in a multitude of fashions, either a side-in trade or he declines his uh, player option and comes. Then again, I don't know what he wants in terms of money. I don't know if he'll be willing to take the vet men. Um, I forget what he signed for. Uh, it was like past. around $9 million, I want to say. Nine, 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 yeah. So outside of that, I don't know. I, I re the problem is, are, are the Nets trying to fix or find a solution for the starting center or just build the depth? Because as I agree with Jack, I don't think Dwight would be a starting caliber center. No. Uh, I think he's somebody that comes off the bench to anchor your second unit and, you know, throw some elbows. Um, Kali Stein, JaVale McGee, I think could be, uh, you know, pretty good 
replacements for, uh, you know, DeAndre Jordan. Um, you know, you may lose a little bit of physicality, but, you know, at least they'll give you the physicality, you know, every game as opposed to DeAndre, who's only going to give it to you maybe like once every four business days. So <laughs> I, I, I think in terms of like, it's, it's the bin is very small in terms of uh, finding a, like, I guess, viable or like really, uh, you know, a head turner in, in a, or needle mover, I, I should say, in terms of the center position. But I think because of the fact that if we even ran this same team back next season, they'd still be finals uh, contenders. I think it's it, it's okay if you have, you know, a C-level, you know, center anchoring the guy, you know, anchoring the unit on uh, come opening night. So I think Kali Stein, JaVale McGee, like you said, will probably be at the forefront of my uh, list. Yeah, I think like this center position, you're not really looking for like a starting level player. Like if you bring Blake back, he could start, he could close games. You're hoping Nick Claxton takes that jump. I think I'm looking more so for the center if we're trading DeAndre to be that third big or like that actual big when you have to face a Joel Embiid or somebody like that. So that's why I'd clean with somebody with like true size, like a JaVel McGee. Even another option to throw out there would be somebody like Robin Lopez. He might get a little bit more money than what the Nets have, but that's what I'm really more so looking at. I don't think they'll be able to get a starter via free agency, just given their limited options. So it's just kind of kind of putting the, the icing on the cake and just kind of filling out your rotation. What are you thinking, Jack? Yeah, look, I, I think that Embiid stopping is 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 a priority of some sort because, you know, whatever happens with Ben Simmons, you know, Joel Embiid is still an MVP caliber player. The Sixers are going to be, at worst, a top four seed and, and, and contending with the Brooklyn Nets and obviously a division rival they'll be coming up against quite consistently. So having a body to nullify him somewhat, you know, whether it's Blake, whether it's Deadman, whether it's JaVale McGee, whoever, whoever else it might be, um, has to be of some priority. I don't think it's necessarily you, you break the bank for it, but you know the Nets are going to have to go through uh, the Sixers in some sense of the imagination if he is healthy um, to to get to you know championship glory in, in 2022. Yeah, and I just have two random names that I forgot to mention. The guards, one's Lanson Galloway. I feel like he's a solid like end of the bench rotation guy, like not somebody in your rotation but could give you some minutes. And what do you guys think about the idea of Victor Oladipo? This has been something brought up by a lot of different people, just the potential of him taking a really small contract for one year to kind of get his value back up. We saw him at the Nets, one of their playoff games, sitting in the stands. Do you think there's any type of possibility Oladipo could sign on a really cheap contract with the Nets? Uh, personally, I don't, I don't see it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't I, I know he definitely is going to have something to prove uh, yep. coming back, you know, especially off the injury and like, you know, the, the narrative has not been good around him the past few years, but I don't know if the Nets are the right team for him to, I Work guess, make value. his resurgence. Yeah. And then that's the one, money. <laughs> exactly. The one thing I will say is that, you know, if there is a, a modicum of athleticism there, you know, he has shown a, a pretty high level defensive ceiling when he is at his best. And that's something that I think, you know, we talked about athleticism and defense in relation to the Brooklyn Nets and gaps in areas of need. That's something that he could provide. But I think he'd be, I think there'd be other teams out there that'd be like, you know what, we'll give you uh, great opportunities, you know, rotation minutes, you know, ball handling responsibilities that I don't think the Nets uh, probably have the option to give him. 
A hundred percent. Yeah, I think like even the Knicks would make a ton of sense for him. Just an opportunity to play, get you know a bigger role, still be in the spotlight. But any other free agents, trade targets, any dream scenarios you guys want to touch on before we get out of here? Um, you know, I, I think it might be worth sniffing around uh, a Nerlens Noel. Yep. Um, you know, I, I believe he's unrestricted. I think he was only making five mil this season. Uh, yep. I know he had a little bit of injury, you know, problems in that uh, Hawks playoff series, but you know, he had a pretty decent season this year. I mean, he, he, he great rim protector for the Knicks. He, he can rebound. He's athletic can can run up the floor. Uh, you know, might be, I, I would assume the Knicks are going to bring him back, yep. you know, uh, but you know, if, if they let him hit the market, it wouldn't be, you know, I think it'd be in Sean Mark's best interest to, uh, you know, sniff around there. Um, I think just bringing back up the Tristan Thompson point, I think that was, you know, I I think that's a really good um, addition. You know, you saw how much trouble he gave the Nets bigs in that, uh, you know, some of those games in the in the Celtics series. Um, my only concern with 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 Tristan is that now we're going to have Kardashian. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have two people linked to the Kardashians. Yep. I don't know if we need that type of drama. At uh, Flatbush in Atlantic, man. <laughs> Blake dated Kendall, and you know what a, a, a Tristan. And Tristan, I don't know if he's still dating her anymore, but may, maybe Didn't that James Harden make... date Chloe too. Yeah, James <laughs> Harden was in there too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so maybe, maybe that increases the likelihood if Tristan Thompson and Chloe aren't together anymore. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they bond over a shared dismay of uh, the, the Kardashian crew. I have no idea. Yeah, but then uh, we get into. Uh... Yeah, they say we get into another like love triangle situation, like what killed the uh, the Phoenix Suns back with Jason Kidd and the Braxtons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, or even uh, what was it? Steve Nash and Jason Richardson had some stuff too. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> so uh, maybe we don't want to get into all that. But Justin, pleasure having you on the show. Appreciate you taking the time to hop on. Um, Jack, always a pleasure, and big thanks to everybody for listening. Um, no, like I said, thank you guys for having me. Uh, you know, big fan of you guys' content. You know, I, I like to read as much as I can. So whenever you guys post articles and things like that, I'm always tuned in, always retweeting, you know, part of Net Republic. We're trying to build it. And, um, you know, just gonna just try. We're just all just trying to get through this offseason together. I'm gonna try and uh, do that. I also, um, you know, spend some time on my podcast that I do, uh, Saratobi Sports Pod, where we do sports, but we also do anime. The anime talk is really, you know, where I've, uh, spread my wings a little bit but i low-key love anime it's an unknown fact about me but that's, <laughs> that's beside the point jack anything else you want to toss out there before we get out of here uh maybe taj gibson just a, a weird way to end the podcast i don't know why brooklyn born, right? brooklyn born and maybe tom thibodeau starts to become a, a little bit too annoying for taj and vet vet dude wants to you know head be a bit closer to home at barclay center yep all right check the buzz on all stream platforms